And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 334, a.k.a. Year 7, Week 32, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC and KS. Welcome back, KS. Jesus, it's been a minute. Where you been? What you been up to? I've been uh, traveling. I went to um, uh, Freedom Fest in South Dakota, which was a spectacular event more turnout than ever um and uh, then i went to colombia to a liberty camp in the mountains of gatape and to medellin for the liberty international world conference and then to some presentations for uh libre raison in quito ecuador uh, presenting about uh, free market ideas yeah and now school's back in session so you're forced to return (laughs) <laughs> That's right. To home base. That's right. <laughs> um, so we were talking a little bit, like it's been a while since you've, you've had a voice uh, on this program. Um, and we covered a little bit about uh, the Afghanistan, I'm going to say debacle going on right now. And you wanted to weigh in on that a little bit. So here's your chance. What is, what is your take on the uh, withdrawal and Taliban takeover of Afghanistan? Well, there's a number of issues that are worth reflecting on, and I'm glad you let me comment on it because I, I know that it's been going on in your podcast before. <clears throat> but uh, it's okay; nobody listens. It was a mistake to go in in this manner <coughs> for 20 years, and I think the embarrassment of of public officials to admit that it was a mistake kept us in there, just like in Vietnam for eight years, but here it was 20 years. And whether it was um, uh, Republicans, um, Bush, or uh, Trump, I mean, Trump said we should get out, but he didn't during his first four years of of, uh, office. Um, uh, Obama said that uh, we should get out, but of course he didn't at all. Joe Biden finally said that he could get out because... He was just following a treaty that was already uh, settled by uh, by Trump. Oh, so guessing, he had an excuse. Yeah, he had a, he could put it on to somebody else. But I'm guessing if, if Trump hadn't said that they were pulling out, I'm guessing that Biden wouldn't have been pulling out by this time. Uh, anyway, I mean, he voted for it and, and stood to gain some lose some um, some embarrassing embarrassment that, about pulling out, but he did. So we covered a little bit of this on this show last uh, last week, and I also I've talked about it a little bit on Free Talk Live. One of the comments that was made on Free Talk Live was, "You don't really, you can't, you don't have to look at this withdrawal as a defeat per se, because it was really just a sparring session for the United States military. Like we, the United States military could have overwhelmed the the Taliban and the Afghan troops." easily and handily if they wanted to they chose not to use excessive force for whatever reason 
um, and therefore it's not really a defeat to withdraw. It's just like, okay, sparring match is over. We're, we're going to go do other things now. Well, there's always this contrast between, yes, overwhelming military force. The United States could have nuclear, you know, had dropped nuclear bombs on every suspected area. But then, then again, you're destroying the local population. And that's, that's been the tragedy throughout, you know, uh, not yeah, really. Does the United States uh, care? They destroy local, not local population. Not something that's easy to do. Uh, the Americans discovered that in Vietnam. The British discovered that in the American Revolution. The Russians discovered that in Afghanistan. The Americans again rediscovered that in Afghanistan. The French discovered that in Vietnam. I mean, it's um, a perennial thing that if you have dedicated people interested in in reconquering their own territory through guerrilla warfare. It's very, very hard to defeat uh, militarily unless you're willing to just wipe out the whole population, which sort of defeats the purpose. Well, and the sad thing about this too is that they've, they've, you know, you you see people. I, I heard on the radio this guy Richard Armitage who was um, on the radio saying, "Well, I guess in retrospect we should have gotten out. Um, maybe when we couldn't find Osama bin Laden." Maybe we could have gotten out after we killed Osama bin Laden. There were times when we could have. Well, what is he considered considering a good moment? It's when it would be less embarrassing to do so, and we can we can wrap it up uh, at our uh, at our choosing. But embarrassment was the the main reason that they stayed in. That's why all the presidents uh, did in Vietnam War, Republican and Democrat, and uh, twenty years of this war, Bush, uh, Obama, and Trump all kept it going for all those years. So is and Joe Biden just, due some credit then for finally putting an end to this, regardless of his reasoning? Well, he blames it on, I mean, he, he says, I was just fil- fulfilling the obligation that that was signed by Trump. So he puts it on to Trump. Okay. And I think then in the Trump long run, the he's probably yeah. figuring that it's going to, it's going to save him a lot of grief in the future by, by ending it now. Cause it's going to be more embarrassment as time goes along, but he can put it on to Trump. Well, he, of could, course, he, he could also just stay in like everybody else and put it on the next president who would stay in to avoid embarrassment, right? It, it could have been an everlasting, in, in, you know, infinite occupation. Yes, and, um, I, and I think some of his advisors are probably telling him, yeah, that's what you should have done. I mean, you know, we were, we're nation building, and that's just part of it. But I think that another thing that they could have done a couple of things they could have done from a libertarian perspective. You could have just opened up the borders long earlier and just allowed people who wanted to leave Afghanistan to, to leave. And then uh, it didn't matter if the Taliban took over because people who, well, I mean, it still matters because a lot of people don't want to leave. Actually, most people don't want to leave their homeland because uh, that's where they're familiar and culturally rooted and all that. But uh, if they feel in danger, that should have been an option. Also the drug war, I was just down in uh, Medellin talking with Venezuelan refugees, and they say that the one thing that props up Maduro more than anything else is America's drug war because he gets all of his funding for his repressive regime from the drug war, from the narco-trafficking, and the same thing in for Castro in, in Cuba, and the same thing for the Taliban. I heard on the radio, if that's believable, that 70% of the entire Taliban budget comes from the sale of narcotics, uh, opium, and, and heroin. And so essentially, the, the U.S. government's drug war 
on its own population is funneling, fueling the, the money supply for all of these terroristic regimes all around the world. So one of the things that we did talk about last week was, you know, the, you mentioned the, uh, the locals reclaiming their, their taken lands and the, the forever war. Uh, if the Afghan army, and this is part of uh, Biden's talking points, if the Afghan army wasn't willing to stand up and, you know, defend their country, then he wasn't going to commit more U.S. troops. So the Taliban, you know, like rightfully reconquered it, right? Um, but if it was so easy to reconquer, if you're, if the goal of the United States is to protect foreign citizens from, you know, evil regimes like the Taliban, isn't the solution to that then an infinite occupation? Like, wouldn't that be like, you know, you said nation building, but it'd be like empire building. Right, it'd be like you know, Afghanistan is now the control of the United States, and that's the only way to make sure to ensure the security and safety of the uh, of the local Afghan population. I'm glad you used the word empire building, because that was the mistake of the British Empire, the Dutch Empire, the French Empire, the German Empire, the Spanish Empire. All of those empires were <clears throat> a desire to conquer the world in their name and in their image. And of course, we're reaping the consequence of this. You know the, um, um, you know the whole of the Middle East was conquered and dominated and manipulated by European empires a um, long time ago. Now, this isn't to say that those countries wouldn't have had lots of warfare and bloodshed on their own without the intervention from Western empires. And who knows? Maybe it might even been more bloody. But then it. it they wouldn't have been targeting um, the Western empires and the United States today if they hadn't been responsible for a lot of this colonial empire building. Sure. I, I don't know. I hear you. Um, but that doesn't really address the, the solution. The, the where you're at solution is there's a lot of Afghans that don't want the Taliban that want to get out that have relied upon U.S. military occupation for, you know, protection against the Taliban. And the only way to keep them safe, apparently, was to keep the military there indefinitely. And I don't, what would be, what would be the solution for that um, since training an Afghan army and having them stand up for themselves didn't seem to work out? Well, if there is I, one. I think that a lot of the, uh, the influence of the U.S. presence there was to fuel a very, very corrupt regime. That's, that's exactly what the, <clears throat> what the U.S. did in South Vietnam, too, fueling massive amounts of money to corruption and corrupt regimes. But look what's happened in Vietnam since the U.S. got out. Free trade has built friendships and international and economic integration with Vietnam, and it's um, you know a thriving, prosperous country. We get along well with it. Uh, instead of soldiers... Um, doing the bidding of national leaders to kill each other, we've got free trade going on, or at least a much more open trade than, than existed before. That's, that's the way that a free market handles these disputes. So they integrate people in their economies. Do you foresee that happening with the Taliban government at this point? Or do you think it's possible in the future? Yeah, I think it's possible, sure. Um, now, nobody really believes what the Taliban says, and for good reason. I mean, partly, they've lied in the past, but also, it's a, a real mixed bag. You know, some of them are countryside um, 
uh, terrorists eager on uh, you know getting revenge, but there are others that are sophisticated enough to be at least saying diplomatically, we want to have uh, different kinds of relations. We we're inviting all the countries of the world to lead their embassies here. People can come and go as they want. We're going to respect uh, um, individual rights more than we did in the past. I mean, I don't necessarily believe them. It, it remains to be seen whether that they'll actually do it. Yeah, they also but said we're collecting open- all the guns in order because you guys don't need them on. Uh, under the Taliban rule because you're safe now. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe them, but but the way to build the incentives for relationship is to have trade where they, they prosper by having that interaction with the world community, not by cutting them off from the world community. Sanctions, I think, are the exact opposite of that. It, it, it tends to isolate them and, and make them... Um, more hostile to their own population as well. I mean, like, for example, Iran. I think Iran would be much better off with a wide-open economy influencing their population, enriching their population to be able to push back as opposed to isolating them. Same thing with Cuba. Same thing Same thing with, um, with Venezuela and other countries. So, Open trade, uh, you know, um, which allows alternatives to the narco-traffickers. Well, provided that they will allow it. So we got we have this, you know, what we consider to be a fairly evil Taliban regime. And you're saying that, well, since they now control Afghanistan, treat them as the legitimate governing body of Afghanistan and then open up the markets to them and see how they respond to that. Well, treating a government as a legitimate government, that that doesn't work for me. I just say allow people freely to do trade with other people with commerce okay. in their country. I don't recognize any government as legitimate. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, but who who would you negotiate that with if not the, the Taliban then? Well, that's a nice thing about trade. You know, you just make it available. I mean, you know, like Hong Kong said, we have unilateral free trade with us. Regardless of what your policy is at your country, you may have all kinds of trade barriers against things from our country. Um, that's bad for you and bad for us, but it doesn't make it any better for us to put up trade barriers against you. We have have unilateral free trade. And Hong Kong benefited by that enormously, as did other countries that opened up to trade. So you don't have to negotiate with them. Free trade is to be declared, not negotiated. Well, but it's also a two-way street, right? The United States can declare free trade with Afghanistan, uh, when, so all U.S. businesses are, are free to, like, export to Afghanistan, fine. They're also free to import from Afghanistan, fine. Uh, but if the Taliban stops those goods at the border going both ways, <laughs> you know, they, they are impeding that free trade. And Well, but, but the, the governments, um, the, the traders will find ways around those obstacles. Yeah, it's bad for their country to have those obstacles if their government puts up yeah. barriers, but traders always find ways around the, the barriers. And if the U.S. doesn't put up uh, obstacles to it, it makes it easier for them to do so. Yeah, I, I hear you. And then I move to North Korea and I go, sure, free traders get around some of those obstacles, but the, the, the quality and quantity is vastly inferior than what you would have if you just had open borders, free trade, sure. all the way around. Sure, of course. So I think it would be great if the North Korean government uh, lifted all their trade barriers. And But they're, they're among the, the most repressive regime in the, on the planet, and yet still 
they've got black markets and corruption within their own ranks. I mean, you you want to escape from um, from North Korea, which is the greatest of crimes and the greatest of barriers. Still, um, about I understand it's about three thousand dollars for a bribe to the okay. officials to look the other way, and you can get out. But then you've got to bribe the Chinese on the other side to allow them to keep moving out rather than just become sex slaves or returned to North Korea. So do you think, I guess, with with the Taliban in control, right, is there incentives for companies or marketers or, you know, free traders to want to import or export goods to Afghanistan? Like, what's, what's, what's the value in trading with them knowing that it could be, you know, turned away, confiscated, or, you know, destroyed by the Taliban at any moment. Like, I don't know why anyone would take that financial risk. If it's a huge potential gain, I mean, if, now consider that the people in Kabul have been exposed to Western ideas and Western products and Western services a lot over the last 20 years. If it's cut off, that doesn't mean that they've forgotten about all that stuff and don't want it anymore. Uh, they've they're familiar with it. That's they've been exposed okay. to it. They want it. So I'm I'm guessing that they'll pay the bribes that's necessary to get around any obstacles. And and who knows? Maybe the <clears throat> Taliban isn't sophisticated enough to even put up barriers. I mean, they are still allowing people across the border into Pakistan, and then there's also going to be a lot of traders in Pakistan that are going to want to take advantage of it. They're not okay. They're not free people, and they don't, you know, and they're they're ideologically twisted, you could say, but but they know what, yeah, I mean, how, what's going to make them rich. The, there are checkpoints at certain borders because there was a headline that came up that was basically, you know, can, are you serious? Uh, the United States was like feeding the Taliban uh, names and information about U.S. personnel, like, oh no, these are the guys you got to let through, right? But also, but also I know. blowing Gosh, their cover was... at the same time. So they're exactly, you know. and even the, the those Afghans who collaborated with the U.S. give to hand over that list. Gosh, I can't believe how stupid, stupid the U.S. government must be to to do that. Oh, but I mean, if we're if we're opening up, you know, trade with them and we want to, we want to treat them, you know, you got you got to let them in. Got to let them. You got to let some people in. You got to let some people out. How else? How else are they going to figure it out? Well, you can let them in without informing the Taliban who are the guys that you're, um, that were your targets. I mean, that's 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 like uh, during Nazi Germany telling, uh, well, here's a list of of where the Jews are and who they are, um, you know. But these are the ones you you can leave alone and let through. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So it's, it's again seems seems like an odd thing to do, but you know that the the. The Taliban are now in control, one way or the other. Um, the other thing that we commented on last week was the, you know, the 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 libertarian way of leaving, right? Like, just get them out. You want you? How do you bring the troops home? Put them on a plane. You bring them home. Um, but you had something to say about you know leaving all the weapons and armaments behind. Well, yeah, yeah. the the government left uh, or the military, I guess. It's really really weird. They left something like $85 billion worth of military equipment in Afghanistan. So including planes and guns and helicopters and uh, bio um, marking devices or devices that can read your biometrics. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, all kinds of stuff. So, so maybe maybe the libertarian uh, talking point of just put them on a plane and bring them home uh, might not be as easy to to manage as libertarians would like. Well, I think that the libertarian view was that if you came home, you brought the weapons with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's actually really confusing because it's not it's not just the weapons that that our military had; it's all the weapons that we were trying to arm the Afghan military with that that are basically incapable of, of using. Right. You're there for 20 years. There's infrastructure put in. You know, there's however many uh, vehicles and tanks and armor or, or, uh, personnel carriers and, and so on. Like, if, if you're making a strategic withdrawal, seems like that would take time. Seems like it would require troops on the ground to load up, pack up, and, and ship all that stuff back. Um, so so what I'm saying is some of the stuff was meant to stay there for the Afghan military. Understood. And um, so leaving it there, part of it was part of the plan, but um, the assumption that the Afghan military was going to do anything against the Taliban, that was, that was the, I guess, the strangest part. That they, that they thought they would or that they believed mm-hmm. they would or – didn't seem didn't seem like anyone truly believed that it was kind of you know I put in them I don't know the why, okay why why send them a whole bunch of military equipment if you think they're if they think they can't use it I don't know so because it looks even worse strategy, if you don't since anybody who looked back on the Vietnam War or the Korean War and uh, you know anybody who was part of military strategies which this should have been should also anticipate this sort of withdrawal. And that if you're going to have weapons over there, you also embed them with mechanisms for disarming them, in incapacitating them. In other words, you you don't leave the keys in the in the Humvee and in the helicopter. You you have some little device that that uh, burns up the electronics or something inside. I mean, I, it seems like that would be logical to put into any any weapon that you're taking over there if you're not sure that you can get it back. Okay. I mean, I'm sure the CIA says, well, in our places we have computers that have are filled with information, but we know that we can get overrun as we were in Iran, and we want all the information burned uh, on with the push of a button so that it doesn't get out. So put the troops on the plane, and then one last bombing run on the base, basically. Right on yeah, on your way out, you destroy the the base, the embassy, whatever's left behind, so that they can't. You know, it's just a pile of rubble after that. Sure. Okay. I think they did that in Benghazi, you know, down in, in Libya. They were trying to, of course, then they they got, I mean, but uh, they're all, one thing that I, I heard on the radio, I think I've, I don't know if I mentioned it now or beforehand, that Richard Armitage was saying that um, he was being asked, well, couldn't you have gotten out earlier? Well, yeah, we could have gotten out uh, when we couldn't find Osama bin Laden at Torbara. Or we could have gotten out when... Um, when he was killed in a, in Pakistan, he was talking about a, a time that seemed um, convenient to to get out. Yeah. But then they asked, "Well, how come you didn't do that? You were na- a national security advisor during all this." Well, my inbox got full about about Iraq. I was just too busy thinking about Iraq. And of course, there was no excuse for going into Iraq, and all of the mess that that caused. But that was taking up his time so that he couldn't even, he, this one guy, couldn't figure out 
um, couldn't keep his attention on all the things going on in Afghanistan. I mean, this is, these are just inexcusable excuses for well, continuing on 20 okay. years of war. To be fair, I, I am not at inbox zero. And with, you know, over multiple email addresses, there's at least one inbox that, you know, has over 20,000 unread messages. So I can imagine if I was getting inundated daily with, you know, progress updates, status reports on certain things that something could very easily slip through the cracks. Like I if could, you have to read all the stuff, but if you have 20,000 emails that you know are critical, you, you hire somebody to do the screening for you. Okay. You know, and that you trust. And there's no shortage of staff in Washington, D.C. for uh, for handling this sort of stuff. I mean, this is just a lame excuse on, on his part. So you put a staffer on it? You you well, filter the, all the Afghanistan. out the important stuff from okay. the less important stuff. And uh, gives you a briefing, as he should have been giving to the president at the be, be, you know beginning of the day. Okay, here's 10 minutes to tell you what's going on in Iraq. And here's 10 minutes to tell you about that other war that you should also be paying attention to, Afghanistan. All right. Fair um, enough. Yeah. There's, there's no excuse for... I mean, because they've got the lives of thousands, if not millions of people in their hands, and they say, oh, my inbox was full. Well, that came up earlier in the show as well. The presumption that those in charge actually care about the lives on the ground. Like, I don't, I don't buy that. You know, I don't, I don't think that the United States military was there uh, to protect Afghan lives. I don't think they care. Um, and I don't think that they care too heavily about the loss of lives for the troops. Otherwise, why send them there in the first place, right? Like, if you cared, you right. wouldn't put them in harm's way. I, I, and that's a tragedy because, you know, when soldiers um, sign up or um, to, to go over to Vietnam, everybody treats them like they're doing a service to the, this nation, defending America's way they characterize it at, uh, on Veterans Day. That's so the propaganda. It is, and... and Sadly, I mean, when, when a moment like this, where the U.S. government pulls out and says, gee, this was a big mistake, they've, you would think that a smart person would have to be questioning his own motive for 20 years. So, gee, was I defending America or was there something else involved? There were massive military expenditures through the military-industrial complex, and they always win, no matter what happens out there on the field. They're just an excuse for more contracts. And, and hopefully True. those that are questioning it, you know, start to find the ideas of freedom and liberty and, you know, libertarianism and anarchism and have that change of heart like some have in the past. Um, but until that point, like I'm also very unsympathetic toward, towards the plight of anyone who volunteered to do those things, right? Like you yeah, signed up for the military, like the you knew what you're getting into. I don't see any conscious, conscientious objectors amongst you. I know some guys who, who just treat it as was mentioned by uh, MC earlier that uh, as well. This is free college education, free training, good job opportunity, and and it's just a it's a career path. It, they're not really even thinking about the consequence that they will be killing people, and and they're not really visually seeing that. You know, to today's wars are push button wars. Very okay. few people actually are on the front line pulling a trigger and seeing the person at the other end of that projectile um, dying. Most all of the military action is done from a distance 
very remote and sort of like a video game. Even more so why I, why like, I don't know how that means I should have more, more sympathy for them. Right. They, you know, they, they sign up to play, you know, to play a video game where there's real lives on the line and I'm supposed to care that, you know, that sometimes they die in the process. Right. No, I don't. Sorry. Yeah. Whether or not you knew what you were getting into when you signed up, the mere fact that you went along with it, right, you know, in order to avoid a dishonorable discharge or to avoid, you know, filling out the paperwork to be become a conscientious objector, uh, you're, you're kind of on the hook, man. Like, I don't, you know, play stupid games, win, win stupid prizes, as far as I'm concerned. And I just, you know, I, I don't. All the, all the social media posts where they're like, oh, you know, pray for the troops that they get out of Afghanistan safely. I'm like, yeah, no, no not going to shed a tear one way or the other. Anything else? All right. Well, that, that's a question is then what next? Are we just going to uh, continue this? We had Vietnam, we had uh, Korea, we had uh, this for 20 years. Is it just going to be the same thing next time? Or do you think that there's a, a lesson learned? I don't think there's going to be a lesson learned because it's a whole new generation that hasn't even experienced in the same way. Well, and the, and the what next was the big conspiracy theory of a couple of weeks ago, right? Like they're withdrawing troops from Afghanistan to put them where, right? They're not, you know, it's unlikely that they're getting shipped home to live out their contract in the safety of the United States with their families. So where are they going? Um, and I think I posited on free talk live. Well, the United States is about to do some sort of vaccine mandate with this whole COVID nonsense. And I go, well, you need, you kind of need troops to enforce that. So I'm, you know, <laughs> I hope I'm wrong, but I, I will predict it here as well. You know, troops on the streets to enforce a vaccine mandate uh, because they now brought, brought them home from Afghanistan and that's their new assignment. But if you have a better theory, love to hear it. Well, no, that's a possibility that is frightening, but uh, I think, the drug war will continue and flare up and they'll find a, a justification for going somewhere else. Maybe, maybe, maybe Venezuela or, or I mean, who knows? Um, so, so that was another conspiracy around that. If, if the, if the, if the war in Afghanistan was about the drugs and, you know, the CIA imports Im, importation of opium and poppy and all that other stuff that they grow in Afghanistan, um, why don't they need that anymore? Right, like what's coming next, where they're abandoning all those poppy fields uh, to to come home? Well, I think it was sparked by the attack on World Trade Center that that Afghanistan and Iraq then became an open target, and I th- it seems to me that the idea of a a terrorist attack and now I say terrorist because it's it's an attack on the United States. Of course, they they view it a terrorist attack when the U.S. drones, you know go sweeping across their countryside and kill as them, well. They should too. It's an occupation um, an invasion or a terrorist attack. One, yeah, pick one. They shouldn't be there. Sure. And I think the potential for those things is, is as great as ever, especially so now with the bio, the, the capacity for bio weapons, biological weapons or chemical weapons. Uh, that's, even more of a threat, but I mean, there's nuclear weapons. There are all kinds of weapons that could still spark a retaliation. The key to a terrorist attack is redirecting the attention from the real uh, antagonist to a false antagonist to spark this, you know, massive war that 
like the fact that nine um, eleven was done by Saudi Arabians, and then they went on the attack in Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah, like kind yeah, of that, redirecting that it like so that. Bizarre, but main, the but maintain were... the friendship with the Saudis th- yeah, throughout. Yeah. yeah, that's a good example of it. Yeah, yeah. So you, you pose the question: What comes next? Like, what is there something on the horizon that you can foresee or foreshadow? Do you have some insider information about you know? Hmm. Or is it just speculation at this point? Like, you know, the, the the United States will find a conflict to get into, and it's just a matter of who's it going to be this time. Yeah, I, I don't know where it would be. Are you concerned uh, as, as you know, a, a member of the United States citizenry uh, of retaliation by the Taliban in some form or fashion on United States soil? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that ISIS is a real hardcore extremist group that um, the only thing keeping them from attacking the U.S. right now is that they're busy attacking everybody. You know, they, they're going after the Taliban, they're going after the Sunni, the Shia, the, you know, all of these factions. They're warring, still tribal, warring tribal groups in Afghanistan. And they'll go after in, in Africa or, or Middle East, they'll go after them anywhere. Somebody's going to get the hot idea, as Osama bin Laden do. Well, let's let's figure out a way to make an attack on the United States. I think, in a sense, they'd have to really think that through because it. Okay. They they didn't. You know, Osama bin Laden really had his motives. He you know the U.S. was supporting Israel. The U.S. was uh, had bases in Saudi Arabia, their their Holy Land. The U.S. was uh, um, supporting Iraq. All the things that he objected to, and yet. Um, I don't think he really expected as much of a retaliation as occurred. So I don't. I don't know if, the, having seen this, maybe it is a deterrent to future terrorists thinking that, um, gee, well, we wanted a reaction, but did we really get anything out of this much of a reaction? Sure, and it doesn't sound like that retaliation is going to be coming from the Taliban, right? Like. The United States went into Afghanistan. The United States pulled out of Afghanistan. The Taliban retook it in a matter of days. Uh, but they, you know, they have no reason to retaliate now because they've they've got what they always wanted. They got their land back. They got their country back. So yeah, the, but the, it's been also twenty years of blood and hardship for them okay. too. I don't think that uh, that it was a pleasant time for them. Yes, they're they're gloating in the victory, but it's not the same people who were alive twenty years ago. Sure. So what, what what would be the impetus for ISIS to do so then if they're also fighting with the Taliban, right? Like, okay, the United States is out of Afghanistan. Now we can go attack the United States at home. Like that, I'm, I'm having trouble piecing those two parts together because no, they I always could have. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily follow. But yeah. they're, they're a very hardcore hate group. Sure. I mean, we've got a lot of hate groups all around the planet. Even the United States, there are various hate groups that are, you know, you don't, even if you arrest them and put them in jail, they don't, I mean, I wonder when they're going to close Guantanamo Bay. I don't think, I mean, they, they've always been promising that too, and that never happens. Yeah, was it last month or whatever, they finally released a prisoner from Guantanamo Bay? Yeah, right, so, right. St- baby steps, man, somewhere. baby steps. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what to say. You know, either, either ISIS has always been a problem or, you know, Withdrawing from Afghanistan should have no impact on on their activities, right? They might 
if if ISIS were to attack the United States on the United States soil, there may be some in power that try to spin that in such a way as see what happens when we leave and they could use that as an excuse for another perpetual war somewhere in the Middle East. Um, but yeah, to, to me, it doesn't really follow. Seems like, seems like as it stands now, the Taliban has taken over. They're well-armed, CIA trained, depending on uh, your position on that. Um, and it's, it's basically their country, legitimate government or not. As, as I will say that as legitimate as any other government uh, on the planet at the moment. Right, so we can say that we don't recognize them, um, but if they wanted a seat at the table of international affairs, uh, they will now be taking that seat. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Warfare often is somehow recognized as the legitimate, uh, the legitimization of a government. Like for example, the um, uh, the Indian Wars. Um, well, the United States won the Indian Wars, so that gave them legitimacy for most of the United States. The United States won the Mexican War, so it gave legitimacy. The United States conquered Hawaii, and so it gave them legitimacy. And yeah, all the time, it's a matter of um, war is the ultimate legitimizer for a new government. I mean, that's, you know, millennia of human history, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's that's how it works. Um, whether, whether you believe that to be uh, legitimate or not, that's how it works. Yeah, uh, if you're on the losing side of the war, it it's not, it it doesn't satisfy. But <laughs> yeah, that's the way the world works. That's, you know, it's the incentive to win. Um, I I will take that. Uh, you know, even a step further as far as you know my personal ideals or values or theories or thoughts. Um, on a smaller scale, right? You know, we the the I don't want to have this whole debate or discussion now, but the the ideal of rights comes up like what is a right what what grants you the right to something like property rights you know you say you say that that is your land but what makes it so um and giving it thought over the years right I, i've come up with one of two things right it's either yours because there is mutual agreement that it is yours Right, which means like I declare this to be mine. And you go, okay, fine, that's yours. Like, no problem. I'm not going to fight you for it. Um, or you can defend it uh, against encroachment. So if you declare this plot to be yours, um, you you must have the capability to defend it against aggressors. And if you are incapable of defending it against aggressors, um, then legitimate or not, it is no longer yours. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that extends the key point to that you made there is. If I'm not going to fight you for it, it becomes yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if, if there's one candy bar on the table and I go, there's only one candy bar, KS. And you go, well. It's yours. It's, yeah. it's yours. You could say that. Or go like, <laughs> we're going to have to fight for it because we both want it. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and we can, we can, we can then negotiate. Um, we can negotiate for it. So I don't, I, I'm going to try to tie this in the best I can. I, I did a class, um, and you might be familiar with this exercise. Uh, it's called the lifeboat exercise. Are you familiar with this exercise, either of you? Nope. By name. Okay, fine. So the lifeboat exercise, um, and my I was in a class of three. You can do this with a class of you know any number. Um, you you know it's it's a it's a it's a class it's a it's an exercise on like negotiations or whatever, and you put like one chair in the middle of the room, and you guys fifteen minutes. Right, whoever's sitting in that chair 
at the end of 15 minutes lives, right? Everybody else in the room, you're theoretically dead, right? And it's supposed to spark this discussion on who in the room is the most worthy to sit in that chair. And when the instructors like teed up the exercise, right? They said that there will be no physicality, right? No fighting, no hitting, no, none of this, right? Well, that's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. <laughs> but again, let's tone it down for the nature of the course, right? Like <laughs> okay, it okay. may be unrealistic, but that's, you know, so there's, there's th- three of us in, in my group. Um, and she goes, okay, start. And I, I look to my left and I look to my right and nobody moved. So I got up really slowly, walked over to the lifeboat and sat down. And to me, that was like, that was the end of the exercise right? There is nothing you can say, uh, to, to cause me to get up off of this lifeboat, right? Like I, 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 I am now negotiating from a seat of superiority and there's nothing you can offer me if it's going to cost me my life, right? Theoretically, it's part of the exercise, right? Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I, when, when I'm from that position, right, the only way to like, to save yourself is to get physical and violent with me and then overcome me in a battle of phys- in a battle of physicality right so in that exercise the snicker bar on the table the plot of land that i've staked outside and nation building right or however you want to however you want to phrase that nation conquering right it all comes down to a matter of it's going to get physical unless we can unless we can negotiate someplace uh, and negotiate something out um and if it's not life or death, right, for the candy bar, right, might be willing to negotiate for it, right? Like, eh, maybe, maybe you give me something and I give you part of the candy bar kind of a thing, you know, or, or the land, you know, like, I don't want to put up a defense, but if you, you recognize this as mine and I recognize that as yours and we can be neighbors and no problem. Um, but grander conflicts, like, you know, how, how do you conquer a nation? Well, you take it over, right? You, 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 win, the, you win the conflict of overwhelming violence. That's the only way. That's the way it's been through, you know, throughout human history. Um, and I, I would, I dare say, in the animal kingdom as well, right? You have okay, your so what's territory. the conclusion of your uh, exercise? <laughs> they couldn't move me because I wasn't going to negotiate. Like, there was no reason. To, so the exercise so what's ends. The, so what's the point of the exercise? <laughs> the point was you're not supposed to sit in the chair, dumbass. You're supposed to, you're supposed to have a discussion. About who's most worth, and I wasn't calling you a dumbass, I'm saying me, I'm the dumbass in that, you know, like, they're like, you, you don't sit in the chair, you, you talk about it, like, <laughs> I've got kids, you have kids, I have a family, like, who's most worthy of sitting in this chair? And when well, you, the person who sits in the chair, obviously. <laughs> and so I think me and you would have the same outcome <laughs> if, if we did this exercise separately. If we'd exercise, if we, if we were both in the same room, I think it would have been like, who's the fastest among us to get to that chair? <laughs> Cause I think we think the same. Um, but I was good friends with one of the, one of the, one of the two guys in the class. And he came up to me after the class. He's like, I lost a lot of respect for you after that. And I'm like, why? No. Yeah, no, he, he, he was, he was completely taken aback, uh, by the selfishness in which I approached that exercise. Gosh, it was life or death under that circumstance, right? Understood. Only one of you is going to live. Understood. But but him and the other guy made zero attempt to get to that chair. Not only made zero attempt to get to the chair, made zero attempt to stop me from getting to that chair. 
it's not like I broke into a dash and hustled for it. I was willing to like make the last move, right? I looked at them, they didn't move. I moved. And that was, you know, that was the end of the exercise. Um, <laughs> they, they must not have wanted to live. <laughs> and I would suggest that to be true. Uh, but if you do it with a room full of like 20 people, you know, 20, 30 people in class, like who gets to that chair? Like what, ha- what happens then? Can, if someone gets there before you, what do you have to offer them to get them to move if you really want it? How, how could, could you be convinced? Like, you know, forget the exercise. Could you be convinced well, to move from that chair? That's a weird exercise because, so say you, you take the chair, the only thing they can do is guilt trip you about it. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. They're going to be dead. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you, but I think Was we there think an alike. option to share the chair where no. two people sit on the chair. No, the, the lifeboat seats one. You both, if, if both of you are on the chair, the, the lifeboat sinks. I guess may, maybe they could say, well, he, he took the chair without any, any vote. So we're going to send a message in a bottle, uh, to, uh, kill this guy once, you know, yeah. it's over. Yeah. Go so, take, go take a vote. And, I don't care. And, well, it's not a vote. Two but, on one. Uh, I still win. No, but what I'm saying is you got 20 people and you got one guy in the chair and the 20 people uh, write up this big story about how you're Satan and you should be killed on sight. And uh, so even if you live, um, it's, you know, a week later, somebody will find you and kill you. Okay. You know, after you survive after, on if your the bottle life, floats yeah. to the same place that sure. I just happened to love. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Maybe. Could that have moved me? I don't know. Probably not. There, yeah. there's not much they could have said to move me from my chair or maybe they have a radio and they can they can you know tell people yeah somewhere else that you know the story of how you got the chair <laughs> if they didn't like the way you got on the chair they could have been negotiating with each other okay the two of us can beat him up and push him off the chair but we have to agree ahead of time how we're going to decide then who feel who takes his place right so i mean you know if, if it was real that their lives were at stake, uh, I think that's what probably would have happened next. They'd say, well, we can, beat, we can beat him up, get him off the chair, but then we still have that problem of deciding which, ones of us, which one of us gets in there. Let's do John Kimpo. Are yeah. you willing to go along with that? <laughs> yeah, John Ken, and then I kill you, you know, because <laughs> yeah, at yeah, that yeah. point, if, if you're willing to kill for it, right, you know, why not, why not go all the way and be the last man standing? Uh, Obviously, the exercise is restricted for, to that no violence thing, but extrapolating that out, yes, right? In, in a life or well, death situation. Well, that sure makes it unrealistic to say that there's a, a no violence criteria. But that's why, that's why I, I brought it up in that context, because if you extrapolate that out to the real world, right, it always ends up in violence. And mm-hmm. conflicts that end up in violence, it's always... He who wins the battle of overwhelming violence wins. That's how it is. Like that's that's eons uh, of human I'm, history. I'm reminded of how King Kamehameha became king. First, he was sharing. Actually, he was second in command of the Big Island. His brother, his older brother, had a higher claim on on rule, but they were sharing. At any rate, uh, so Kamehameha invited his brother over to a parley, and as he's getting out of his boat. Kamehameha's first in command behind him comes up behind him and stabs him in the back and kills his brother. Yeah. So it was just pure treachery that he became the chief of the big island. And then he said, okay, well, now I've got more soldiers. Um, 
I'm I'm now the king. Everybody has to obey me because of this long-standing appreciation of royalty, royal blood. So now I'm going to go get the other islands. And just by warfare that he became king. And now people call him Kamehameha the Great. They have holidays, uh, celebrations. Uh, what a great guy he was because he murdered more people than anybody else. That's how you get the statues built, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, as long as you remain great, the statues remain up, right? Like they're, they're not pulling down statues of the winning team, pulling down statues. Well, of- that's right. Um, but maybe there will be a, a reconsideration of, um, I mean, you know, like, for example, um, all the slaveholders at the founding of the country are being reexamined. I would say President McKinley certainly needs to be re-examined here in Hawaii. They shouldn't be naming a high school after the guy that that annexed the island. But sure. um, you know, so it it remains to be seen whether or not revisionism will will pull down old statues. I don't. I think it'll be a very long time before Kamehameha statues come down. But you can pull down all the statues you want. the The fact still remains that that is how you win. Yeah. Right? If yeah. if you want if you want that land to be yours. You either have to declare it and defend it or declare it and have other people agree with you. That's it, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 the borders of all the countries, right, are agreed upon borders after some tribal conflict at some point in the past, right? Like they went, okay, our gang stops here and your gang takes over. And then there are the, the funny ones like, uh, was it Nova Scotia or whatever, where they, the Canadians and whomever, plant the flag and leave a bottle of alcohol because it's, it's still part of, it's like Canada and Russia. I, I forget. Don't quote me. Um, but they, they, they basically just, you know, plant a, they plant their flag and leave a bottle of alcohol for the next troops who come by from the other side, because it's still in dispute. Like there's land still in dispute, but it's not important enough um, to escalate to violence. They go, okay, we don't really care, but we, we're still claiming it. And then you go like, well, we're still kind of claiming it too, but no one wants to fight over it to see who really has it. So it just it stays in dispute. It's disputed land. Um, was it li- uh, not liberal land? What's the what's the the sovereign one like Croatia or whatever? Yeah, what's it's the- an island in the river, middle of the river between, I think, um, Hungary and, and Czech Republic, uh, somewhere Liberland. Yeah, yeah, is, it was a Liberland. I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. I was I get that one confused with I think it was Sealand, which was the oil derrick seasteading seasteading uh, well yeah whatever but yeah liberland right it's just like well the, no side wants it so we're claiming it for ours and then what you know like now you can declare it and if they agreed that it's yours then it is if they want to send in troops to to fight for it then you have to defend it otherwise it's no longer yours and that's you know i don't i don't want to say that that's the way it should be uh but that's the way it has been and i see I do not foresee any situation where that changes uh, going forward in the future. As long as there's going to be, you know, people who want to take land or, or conquest or conquer, uh, that's just the way it is, right? You know, the, the one of the big topics right now, I think I have an article uh, uh, or a similar article. I'll just read the headline for you. If we get into it, we get into it. As the political divide grows, it makes sense to redraw state boundaries from the Mises Institute. Right. So redrawing state lines, reconfiguring geographic regions, you know, secession is even on the table in some places. Um, You know, if 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 the greater United States is willing to let those uh, smaller entities go right without a fight, then great. 
right? If the United States like recognizes the new formed country of Texas or preferably New Hampshire, fucking fantastic, right? If they don't, well, then it's going to get violent. You have to be prepared for it, right? You can't, you can't think it away. You can't like, well, they won't. They might. They could. They absolutely could. That's, that's how you retain um, the, the land that you conquered if someone declares it to be something else, right? The United States went into Afghanistan, uh, you know, declared it to be in some puppet government, um, and then said, okay, we're out, right? And then, you know, the, the Taliban went, well, we'll fight you for it, and then they won. And so, you know, legitimate government or not, like I said earlier, who, who else is in charge, right? If, if they're collecting all the weapons, they're, they're doing all the safety, uh, according to them, then the, it's kind of theirs, man. Like it's hard to, if no one's willing to fight up or rise up or, or, you know, dispute it in some form or fashion, they, they kind of want, they, they win that conflict and that's it. Any other thoughts? All right, well, let's do this article on. then. Since I read the headline, and then we can okay. discuss things further. As the political divide grows, it makes sense to redraw state boundaries from the Mises Wire, Mises Institute. In the coming decade of heightened political tension, cartographers may have to make serious adjustments to the borders of several American states. The American left's desire to micromanage activities ranging from people defending themselves to relying on cheap, non-renewable energy sources has provoked a significant backlash. And it's not just manifesting itself in the form of an average political protest or a regular election to vote the proverbial bums out. Several states are already witnessing their rural counties attempting to separate from the rest of their state. On previous occasions, I've showcased the example of Greater Idaho and a number of Virginia counties wanting to join West Virginia as signs of how burgeoning discontent among citizens of blue states is being channeled into separatism. Weld County, which has been trying to break away from Colorado in the last decade, is no different. Back in 2013, Weld County County Commissioner Sean Conway, that's a lot of C's, suggested that the county provides more oil and gas revenue to the state than it gets in return for public services such as roads and schools. Shortly thereafter, Conway and other dissatisfied activists in northern Colorado counties attempted to create a new state via ballot initiative. Although voters only approved the initiative in five of the 11 counties, it did mark a shift in the political conversation. The idea of politically embittered residents of northern Colorado separating from the state would no longer be seen as a fringe thought experiment. Movements to have Weld County leave Denver's orbit have not gone away. In 2020, Christopher Richards registered Weld County, Wyoming, a political committee, a political committee with the ostensive goal of putting an initiative on the November 2021 ballot that could fundamentally reshape politics in northern Colorado. Under this initiative, the Weld County Commission would be given the power to consider a potential annexation by its northern neighbor, Wyoming. The reasoning behind Weld County, Wyoming's uh, initiative for Weld County to relocate to Wyoming is that Colorado's northern neighbor has a more amenable political environment for the citizens of Weld County. For example, Wyoming has no income tax and regulates oil and gas in a less energetic manner than its southern neighbor. The latter point has become a pressing matter for Weld County residents in recent years. Colorado's state government recently passed legislation that adds another layer of regulations to oil and gas. While Boulder County went above and beyond by enacting the most stringent regulation on fracking in the Rocky Mountain state. Natural gas is a key economic driver for Weld County 
and any full-fledged push towards toward completely phasing out natural gas would have a devastating effect on Weld County's economy. The Wattenden Field, the fourth largest oil field in the U.S. in terms of proven oil reserves, is largely situated in Weld County. Additionally, it is the ninth largest gas field in terms of proven natural gas reserves. Weld County is the source of approximately nine out of every 10 barrels of new crude oil produced in the Colorado. Curiously, Colorado was not as leftist in previous decades, and in that period, it would have been doubly absurd to fathom the idea of parts of the state floating the concept of attaching themselves to Wyoming. Colorado gained notoriety for voters approving the Taxpayer Bill of Rights Amendment in 1992, which constrains state and local government's ability to tax and spend without the approval of voters. Colorado was also one of the first states to allow law-abiding citizens to conceal carry on university campuses, even adopting the law before states like Texas. However, political winds have blown dramatically left over the course of two decades. Electoral and policy trends have borne this out. Colorado is generally viewed as a safe blue state and has gone to Democrats by comfortable margins in presidential elections since 2008. On gun policy, Colorado's lurch towards statism has been remarkable. Following the Aurora movie theater shooting of 2012, Colorado politicians have made gun control a major pillar of their political agenda. In the immediate aftermath of the Aurora massacre, Colorado successfully passed high-capacity magazine bans and universal background checks. A few years later, the Colorado state government passed other items on gun control, Inc.'s wish list, such as red flag gun confiscation orders and a mandatory firearm storage law. Due to the rapid cultural transformation of Colorado's electorate, Colorado's state politics seems alien to Weld County voters nowadays. Colorado has one of the most college-educated populations in the country, occupying the fifth-place ranking on WalletHub's list of the most educated states. To boot, it enjoys first place for the percentage of people where, who are associate's degree holders and second place for the percentage of people who, with bachelor's degrees nationwide. It's no secret that universities are the indoctrination centers that have been effective in churning out professionals who hold leftist beliefs running the spectrum from managerial leftism to outright Marxism. On the micro level, the educational and political differences between Weld County and more populated counties of Colorado also typify these trends. Boulder, 62%, Larmier, uh, 47%, and Denver, 49%. Counties all have higher percentages of individual 25 years and older who hold a bachelor's degree or higher. This is in contrast to Weld County, where only 27.5% possess a bachelor's degree or higher. Further, these areas are more affluent than Weld County. Boulder, $46,826. Larimer, $37,363. And Denver, $43,770. Counties enjoy higher per capita income than Weld County at $31,793. Denver and Weld County are political worlds apart at the federal level. Weld County was a safe win for Donald Trump in 2020. When voters pulled the lever for the real estate magnet by a comfortable 58%, 40% margin, on the other hand, Denver was a blowout for Joe Biden. Voters decisively went for the former Delaware senator by a margin of 82% to 17. Larimer County was a safe Biden win, 56 to 40%, while Boulder was a landslide victory for Biden, winning the county 79% to 19. Some conservatives may lament the state's political transformation, but not all is lost, as evidenced by Weld County's growing push to join Wyoming. In fact, Colorado's new political changes present novel opportunities for jurisdictional reconfigurations. 
Most blue states are dominated by one or few metro centers surrounded by massive swaths of semi-rural and rural areas that are culturally distinct from major population centers. This growing bifurcation transpiring nationwide is fertile soil for a decentralization revolution. Separatism is in the air in America, and we should celebrate it. Discarding the starry-eyed fantasy of unity is the first step in acclimating Americans to the idea of radical decentralization. People are already fleeing blue states and sorting themselves out in the states with like-minded individuals. Realistically speaking, this will be a drawn-out process marked by stumbling blocks along the way, but it must start somewhere. Uh, So your thoughts on this article and also the idea of, you know, just going where it's most suited to you, politically or geographically. Sounds good to me. I don't, I don't know that the federal government will agree, but, you know, sounds fine. Should the federal government have a oh. say in this particular case when it's just uh, one county wanting to join another state? You know, the federal government sided with Kosovo to separate from Serbia. They sided with Texas that wanted to separate from Mexico. They sided with Panama that wanted to separate from Colombia. They sided with the American colonies that wanted to separate from England. The principle is all on the side of separation, but the power of governments to let go is equally powerful as we saw with the Civil War. So I don't know. I, I, I think people are so enamored of the glory of the, Viet- the Civil War that they're not going to let a, a secession occur anywhere easily well again not easily which is why i hate to bring it up again but if it comes to violence right you got to win that they're not they're not going to let you go you're going to either have to you know declare it to be so and then defend it or find something to give back right you got you got to negotiate your way out of it um one of the interesting things here is you know obviously the tax advantages of moving to wyoming um i had a, a customer come in to um, my place today at work. And he was like, do you know anyone looking for a job? And I go, there's lots of people looking for jobs. Like what's, you know, what, what do you got? And he basically said, well, this job requires travel. Yeah. You have to go down to Connecticut basically, um, to perform the duties of the job. Um, and I go, okay, now I can pitch that to, to people who might be looking for a job, but a lot of people are here because New Hampshire doesn't have an income tax. So if they go do the work in Connecticut, what tax jurisdiction will they be in? He went, businesses in New Hampshire, brother. And I went, fantastic. And he goes, that's why I moved here from Massachusetts. You know, he gave himself like a, I think he said like a 7% raise just by crossing over the border and moving his business, you know, up one state. Um, so if you can do that with businesses, why why not do it with counties, right? Why not do it with states? I'm I'm always surprised by the number of states that are, um, net federal taxpayers, right? Like they pour, they pay more into the federal tax system than they get out of it. I go like, why would you, why would you not move towards secession if you're losing money by being a part of this agreement, right? Like even if you get federal benefits, they're not totaling the amount that you're, that you're giving into the system by participating in it. Why not just pull out, right? And then all the, you know, all the net tax receivers would have to figure something out because they can no longer feed off the welfare of the, of the net tax paying states, right? But if you're a net payer, break away. Seems to be the most like judicious uh, and, and, you know, economically responsible things to do. And yet no one does. All right. Final thoughts. 
No, thanks. All right, that'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. Uh, on Clubhouse, where we do the show, find us. Uh, the club is The Anarchist Experience, or follow me individually at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H, to get notified when we do this show live. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs>